0: Hello and welcome. To Resting Witch Face, your one-stop haunt for all things spooky, bitchy, and more. I'm Grant Jacoby.
1: I'm Billy Bennett. And this is another little bitch. That l- that little bitch. You know how not, she goes. Yeah, not
0: quite a full bitch, not quite a basic bitch.
1: Right. Just just lol. Just lol. Um. I wanted to start the episode off today by letting everyone know that I got my first sunburn of the season yesterday. And oh, wow. I'm not even mad, I'm kind of excited because it was warm and sunny enough for me to receive a sunburn i'm actually kind of shocked because it wasn't even that hot yesterday i know it was crazy well um kyle and i went bike riding on governor's island which was very lovely but when you think about it it's actually like your arms are kind of in the same position on the bike handles for Mm -hmm. like two hours and even though it seemed yeah it seemed a little bit cloudy um you can't really see it because i have a sweatshirt on but my arms are absolutely aflame so
0: I'm surprised you're covering them. I think you need to let them air out. Like I know. Those, I'm actually. Bad boys, s- I, I like, am
1: sweating, but um, you know, we're fine. We're doing great. What else is new?
0: I also got my first sunburn of the season when I was in Miami.
1: Oh my god! Well, that's on my shoulders. Different,
0: but they, it's now tan, kind of.
1: Great. I'm hoping that that's where I'm gonna. Well, alive.
0: it um, what was really really great is that I spent the entirety of the vacation under an umbrella because I didn't want mm-hmm. to
1: burn. Great,
0: and then proceeded to burn walking to and from the bathroom. Like, I love that at our Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Um, cute. So that was lovely,
1: right? Especially um, when it
0: started peeling, and I felt like a true monster.
1: Oh yeah, I can't wait for this to peel. Um, yeah. So now that we're done with the sunscreen content that you guys mm-hmm. ask for, um. Speaking of true monsters, what are we here to talk about today? But our good, good friend, Ted Bundy.
0: Yeah, our Gouda cheese friend, <laughs> Ted Bundy.
1: Um, I feel like, you know, we've been doing this podcast for a long time. We've never spoken about, really, this infamous serial killer. Um, we have
0: not. And to clarify, we're not really talking about him mm-hmm. or, or his crimes. We're talking about his recent resurgence in the media, correct?
1: Absolutely, yes. He's he's become a, a pop culture icon, apparently, now today in 2019. Um, so, I mean, two of the, the the texts that we wanna speak about today.
0: <laughs> the sacred text.
1: Um, the first of which is a documentary series that came out on Netflix earlier this year called Conversations with the Killer, the Ted Bundy Tapes. And then the latter of which just came out very recently on Netflix. Um, Called Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Who could forget a name like that?
0: Worst title of a movie I've ever heard.
1: Uh, and how many
0: people do you think had to approve that? Like, how many people I, were like, sure, that sounds great?
1: It's truly Rolls right off the tongue. Um, shockingly Evil. Um,
0: mm-hmm. But is it wicked and also vile? I would say yes. Okay.
1: And that is a biopic that came mm-hmm. out recently starring Zach Efron and in the titular role. Mm-hmm. It's not the titular role. It doesn't have Ted Bundy in the title, so <laughs> and Lily Collins, um, as well as a plethora of other individuals. Um, so there's there's things that we that we've liked about these texts, and there's mm-hmm. things that we haven't liked as much. Um, On
0: True Brand, we are here <laughs> to talk about two pieces of film that, respectively one of us has not either screened <laughs> nor completed in that I've seen all the Ted bunny tapes. Bailey is not. And Bailey has seen the Zach Efron film. I've already forgotten what it's called. And I have not,
1: <laughs> I mean, I've seen half of the Ted bunny tapes, but I okay. am prepared to talk about this. That's topic. fair. Um, I'm here to educate you about extremely wicked, <laughs> shockingly evil and vile. God damn it. I um, low-key, like
0: wanted to wait and hear your thoughts on it before watching it. Cause yeah. I had, I had this moment where like I could have watched it mm-hmm. yesterday. And then I was like,
1: uh, I, no I refuse. <laughs> um yeah, no, I mean I think like it all kind of it's all kind of a part of this moment that's been happening happening recently where a lot of people s- are saying Ted Bundy in particular, but also serial killers in general are becoming a little bit too glamorized, romanticized, mm. and I mean like even this podcast kind of adds to that fervor. Like we're Definitely. we're here we're excited to talk about murder on a daily basis.
0: Oh, 100%. I think that this is just an aspect of this true crime fascination that is I feel like has mm-hmm. always been around, but has really taken
1: mm-hmm.
0: our nation by storm, if you will, the yes. past few years. Yes. I mean, there's we could do an entire podcast just dedicated to all the different documentary series, mm-hmm. you know, abduction plain sight, the disappearance of Melon McCann. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um there's I mean it's hard you can't even keep up. Yes. And that's only just what's on Netflix. And yes. we're not even like touching on like Obviously, like all, like every amazing like true crime podcast that's coming out,
1: and there's tons on like Hulu and Amazon. There's tons Mm -hmm. on all of these different streaming services. Like, it is absolutely something that America wants right now, and like so do we. Like, absolutely, we are. I was excited (laughs) to watch both of these titles. Um, I think before we dive into it, I want to give a super quick summary about Ted Bundy, just because like I don't really think there's anyone that doesn't know. About Ted Bundy, but I was actually watching a, you know how I love YouTube, I was watching a British vlogger the other day who was talking about how she just watched Extremely Wicked and then she had started on the Ted Bundy tapes and she goes, I'd never heard of him before. Really? Which I was shocked. Well, I mean, she like she lives British. in the UK, which yeah. I guess makes more sense. But I mean, in my mind, he's hes like one of the most notorious serial killers of all well, time. He,
0: he definitely is. And I think the, the issue is that I think people know him, all these names, you have Ted Bundy, you have Jeffrey Dahmer, you have, you know, John Wayne Gacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Ramirez, the, even like you know Zodiac, like these names are yeah. thrown out, and people are like, oh, I know that they were serial killers yes. like a long time ago,
1: but they don't know the um, details.
0: BTK, Green River Killer, like, but, but yeah, you don't know exactly what went down. And Ted Bundy's, I will say, like, of all the serial killer stories, is like the wildest ride. It's
1: absolutely it covers
0: so crazy. many states
1: and Which, so yeah. much time. Yes. So to give a super uh, a super quick summary off of Murderpedia, um. Theodore Ted Bundy was wanted for questioning in as many as 36 murders in Colorado, Oregon, Utah, Florida, and Washington. In June 1977, the FBI initiated a fugitive investigation when Ted Bundy escaped from a Colorado courthouse where he was on trial for murder. He was recaptured but escaped again in December 1977 from the Garfield County Jail in Colorado. He was placed on the FBI's 10 Most Wanted Fugitives list and was subsequently arrested using alias by local authorities in Florida for a stolen car violation in February 1978. Then in 1979, he was sentenced to death and in 1989 executed for the murder of two Florida State University sorority sisters. So as you're saying, it is an incredibly wild ride. Like he escapes from prison multiple times. He (laughs) decides to to represent himself in court. He proposes in court because of a weird loophole in Florida where he then is married to this woman who fell in love with him on death row. Basically, Mm -hmm. like there's so much here. But at the core of all of it he is a person who murdered over 30 women that, that he can, that we know of and they some say that estimates could be as high as 100 mm-hmm. which is absolutely insane yeah. so one of the big points about this conversations with the killer the Ted Bundy tapes documentary is that right before his execution he he records all of these tapes where he actually confesses to a lot right. of these murders, whereas for much of his life he was denying any involvement in them. Mm-hmm. And in watching that documentary, it's really interesting to see that the way that they eventually actually get him to open up is by having him like speak about this case in the third person, yep. which is absolutely so disturbing to listen to. Um, but he's obviously someone who's... I mean, I think a sociopath by all accounts, oh. um, but has yeah. associated himself so much from this case that he's talking about it in this where, where he's like, well, we could hypothesize that this killer would be someone who did this and this and this when he's just talking about what mm-hmm. he did.
0: Well, it's interesting because something that I don't think was really touched upon in the Ted Bundy tapes that I have definitely heard, there's, a, there's actually a really, really thorough... Three or four part series that last, uh, last podcast on the left mm-hmm. does yes, um, I've, which I've really listened to that as well. dives into that. Where I'm, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Ted Bundy was a blackout drunk.
1: Yeah, he t- he talks about there even like in his childhood he would say like I would get really really drunk and I would just walk around the neighborhood looking for windows that were open so I yeah. could like watch women yeah. undress.
0: And I'm gonna preface this by saying this is by no means an excuse, but I do right. think it's interesting to. Think about that might be a way that he was potentially disassociating himself mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. the crimes because the m- memory of them. I mean, we've all had our nights where you mm-hmm. wake up the next day and you're like, "What happened?" And like, you go through um, your texts and you go through like your camera roll, and you're like, "Oh my god, like that happened." Oh, like, yeah, holy shit!
1: But usually, what happened wasn't um, you
0: n- killed three of course, people. Of but but I'm I'm curious if yeah. like, there's a rationale because he is such a sociopath and because he's such a narcissist um, mm-hmm. that he. At a certain point, maybe convinced himself yeah. that these crimes happened to someone else mm-hmm. or was committed by someone else, mm-hmm. um, or he's just again a true psychopath, sociopath, narcissist who just it took really up until like the night before he was executed to have the fear and god in him to be like, oh yeah, by the way,
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah his his case is, is really fascinating and disturbing in a lot of ways. Obviously, um, I think it's I think it is interesting to kind of. You always like look back at their early life and kind of try to see, like, point to the things that could have gotten mm. them to this place. Because I think there are, are a lot of, a lot of um, serial killers or murderers that we've talked about. Who it's like you can look at their childhood and be like, oh my god, that was so shitty. And mm. like, and it's not an excuse, but it does help to like almost justify how this, ha- like, how they became who they became.
0: Well, I, th- I think that we don't. We as a, we as a society. Mm-hmm. I think the reason we want that rationale is because we don't want to believe that someone could just be so soulless and so evil that they right. would commit these heinous crimes without right. at least some sort of trauma right. uh, that they endured to make them evil. Right. We don't want to believe that evil in the world can just exist.
1: Right. And in Bundy's case, it's there's... He never really finds out who his real father is because his mother never tells him, um, and that's something that he kind of struggles with when he's younger. Mm. And he's some people have hypothesized that her her abusive father yeah. actually fathered.
0: That's what um, heard Ted, too. but
1: that's that's un, that's unsubstantiated. But like for the first few years of his life, he was told that his grandparents were actually his parents and that his mom was his sister. So he obviously has this like identity crisis going on from the beginning. Um, and I think it takes him a while to even find out that she's his mom, and then to try to find out who his dad is. So there's all all of that, and he obviously has a lot of like insecurity from the start. But a lot of people talk about like the time when he really snapped is like when. His one of his early girlfriends, who I believe he calls Stephanie Brooks, Mm -hmm. like broke up with him, and that was the thing that pushed him so over the edge that he began like this killing spree, which to me is, you know, a light (laughs) reason.
0: I think that the uh, and feel free to interject, but I think that the way I interpret it more so because, yeah, I think it's so easy to be like, because obviously he kills over 30 women like let's blame the ex-girlfriend for like dumping him of
1: course of course uh
0: but i think of it if if he truly not that i'm a psycho mm-hmm. analyst mm-hmm. or whatever what do you mean um
1: you are a professional yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> a phd in bullshit <laughs> i what was I saying oh that i think that it's it seems more likely that if you know he's already struggling with his identity he doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere um in the in the documentary they talk about how you know he Really, he always had like delusions of grandeur and mm-hmm. always like, you know, he was never the most athletic or the mm-hmm. most handsome, but like always projected himself to be that way. Yes. And, you know, I think he really was seduced into this life of like wanting to be a normal person. He just wanted to be like wanted. Yeah, and he wanted to be
1: loved and he wanted, yeah, he wanted people to want him for sure.
0: And I think that, you know, the rejection of this girlfriend, I don't think that it was necessarily that like that is, you know... I think that if he hadn't already been a psychopath, Mm -hmm. I'm sure it would have been not not a big deal. But I think it's because he was just like, okay, cool. It just was like the last straw. Of course. Where he was like, okay, well, fuck it. Yeah. I'm never going to be normal. I'm never going to... True. Understand what other people
1: Right. But then what's so strange is that he still continued to deny everything mm-hmm. for so long. Like he didn't fully like embrace like, oh, I'm a weirdo. He 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 obvi- he even like he'll he, there are parts of the of the tapes where he describes like other people who have committed crimes as mm-hmm. being like unhinged and like mm-hmm. th- being like, Oh, there's really weird people out there and it's like, dude. It's
0: the same thing that L. <laughs> Simpson has done I know. recently, you know, since being acquitted of his wife's murder, where you know he'll refer to it in the third person, right? Like, oh, like or but he also even has that whole like weird like if I had done it, this is what I would have done. Yeah, so
1: strange. But also, Ted Bundy went as far as to like work at a suicide prevention hotline, where he met Anne Rand R- 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 and Rule. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. So that was such. Confidence. I really did. I and Rule. And Rule. Um. <laughs> Um, let's actually cancel this. But Um, also
0: I, again, like I'm not trying to justify anything that he's done, but I I think that a lot of it comes down to like that. I'm sure there was also like the, the risk involved and the danger. mm -hmm. Like he clearly has like a form of escalation. Yeah. That is so traceable where, you know, I mean, one of his most disturbing crimes is, well, obviously there's the, um, Florida State, the Florida State, where he mm-hmm. just like went from room to room in the sorority house, just basically fully like eviscerated four girls,
1: less than fifteen minutes, and
0: no one heard a thing. Yep. But then also, prior to that, when he was stalking women on that beach,
1: yes, and kept
0: like coming back for more, and he would take them, he would like murder them, drop like dump them in Taylor Mountain, and go back and like t- find another girl.
1: Yeah, there was the two victims on the same day. Yeah. Was it like Sammamish State Park? I Something believe? like that. Um. Yeah, I think I think what's I think that the the documentary is really is really interesting and in a way I think should exist because those tapes exist and I do think they I think people deserve to hear them in a way and I think like there's some justice for the victims in hearing in hearing him confess to their murders mm-hmm. but at the same time I do find it I find it a really difficult documentary to sit through just because like I Almost don't feel like he deserves our time of day to well, yeah, hear his side of the story. That's
0: the, and this is the, you know, the double edged sword that comes with being someone who loves true crime and like choosing mm-hmm. to watch things with true crime. It's like, okay, like at what point is it, because the, the documentary isn't that graphic. I've heard, a, I was actually surprised how little detail they go into about the murders. Yeah. It really actually doesn't, you know, it gives you the timeline, it gives you, mm-hmm you see who the victims are, but there's no crime scene photos, mm-hmm. at least none that are like excruciatingly graphic. Mm-hmm. There's no, I mean, I, again, like, I guess I'm, my, my base of reference is the last podcast on the left, which mm-hmm. I listened to first a long time ago and like really kind of shocked me and like really mm-hmm. freaked me out because, because it went into such graphic detail. Right. But seeing this, I was like, okay, like that's not that bad. And it just, but at a certain points, like, okay, like when do we get to decide what is too much? And like, when do we, yeah, Like, okay, so let's say they made a a documentary that was just about the victims and, like, what they went through and who they were. Like,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I feel like that would be even almost more of a bummer because then you're just like, oh.
1: I mean, it's certainly a bummer, but is it still the right thing to do? You know, like, I think because so from my my perspective, the Ted Bundy tapes is actually a lot more critical of Ted Bundy than Mm -hmm. the biopic is. So, yeah, Yeah. so the, so as, as little detail as the, I mean, I think, yeah, conversations with the killer goes into some detail about the victims. Mm -hmm. Extremely Wicked goes into none. There is, Mm. you do not see him commit a crime until, like, I don't want to spoil this for you, but like a very, very, like, brief flashbacks in the last five minutes of the film you do not see him commit a crime so basically the story centers around the time of his life from around when he met his girlfriend liz who Mm -hmm. he was with basically through all of you know his first arrest and a lot of these trials yeah um and and ends basically when he's convicted Mm -hmm. um and you know that he's going to be on death row so it's it's taking that really specific timeline for him it doesn't go into his childhood it doesn't go into actually the confessions or anything like that Mm. um and it's really it's really focused on him Mm -hmm. it's like his story and his almost basically his romance with liz and you do what i did like about it is you see a lot of how his actions affect her yeah so she's played by lily collins and there's a lot of really powerful scenes of her trying to you know first of all figuring it out because she's actually the one who alerted the police. She's the one who called him in and said, like, I saw, you know, I heard about these crimes. I saw the drawing and I think it could be him. Mm. And then coming to terms with that fact. And then just him constantly trying to contact her and trying to like get back with her and see her when she's like, I can't, I can't do this anymore until he eventually marries this other woman. And she's just like, what, (laughs) what the fuck? Um, So that that part of it was interesting, but you really almost see things from his perspective. So you and and you do not you hear, you distantly hear about a few of the crimes, but you truly don't see any of it occur. So the the victims are maybe mentioned once, to like a few of the victims are maybe mentioned once, and then they list out all the victims in the credits. And that's pretty much like the first time that you hear about them.
0: So then what's the movie about? It's literally it's <laughs> about
1: like you see him courting Liz, you mm-hmm. see their life together, you see him get arrested, you see him escape from jail, you see him in his trial.
0: I see. So it's like framed more as like what she, like her view on him, like, kind well, like of. what society saw of him. Outside of him being a monster,
1: but it's also hit. But it's also his perspective because you hmm. see him plotting to escape. You see him.
0: We don't see him plotting to murder anyone. No. So, what?
1: it's 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 a very it's a I guess a very deliberate choice in a way. Honestly. Um, but basically, it's there's like this final scene where. He's in jail, and um, Liz, Lily Collins' character, goes to visit him. This is after he's like been convicted, and she's like, "I just, I need to know if I'm crazy, or like, because he's still been denying everything up to this point." So she's like, "I need to know," and she shows him a photo of one of the victims who is missing her head, and she basically is like, "What happened to her head? Tell me what happened." And he like in the like writes in like fog in like the fog on the glass mm-hmm. where he's talking to her on the phone. Hacksaw. So then she knows, and that's when you see a few flashbacks to him, like committing that crime. Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry, I we didn't really say that there were going to be spoilers in this, but also like it's it's not really a spoiler because it's just something that happened. Yeah, whatever. Um, But so basically, they use the fact that he did commit the murders as like a twist, or like as like the lead up, like you're leading up to this moment where he finally confesses something to her which mm-hmm. was very strange to me because I'm like I think we all know that he committed the murders but yeah. the problem is you have Zach Efron playing Ted Bundy mm-hmm. and he plays him really well he looks just like him and he's just as charming as Ted Bundy was I mean that's a lot of the reason why he was able to commit these crimes but at the same time Zach Efron is a Hollywood heartthrob that yeah. people know from his high school musical days. Like people love Zach Efron. He's a very innocent. I cute high school musical too yesterday. Yeah, great. <laughs> so it's like this film needed to do a lot to work against the public perception of, of who Zach Efron is. Because mm. basically for most of the movie, I was just like, oh, that's Zach Efron. Looking pretty hot. Yeah. Escaping from jail. So it was like I needed the film to make me like I needed the film to make me feel uncomfortable about the things that he had done in order for me to not sympathize with him.
0: But, and and yet it waited until the last second.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's,
0: it's tough. And here, let me give you my critiques on a film I haven't seen. Great. Where I guess like my question, and I don't have an answer to this is, so what, what representation of Ted Bundy would be appropriate? And maybe the answer is none. Right. You know, I think that actually casting Zach Efron, like, in one way could be smart because I think it is a, f- it is a representation of, of what he was in the eighties or whatever, where like, mm-hmm. we're like, Oh my God, but he's so handsome. Right. So obviously they're going to cast a guy who's good looking. And like, we have this preconceived notion of Zac Efron being hot. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I get that then that's also problematic. Cause then you we were deitizing him and like, we're just talking about how he's hot. Yeah. Tell Bunny wasn't that hot. Right, it was more so that he was charming and, and that's confident. why he was able to do yeah. what he you know he was able to lure these women oftentimes away from their their friends and public places because he seemed so unassuming and he mm-hmm. seemed so he was charming.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say that I think first of all, yeah, maybe we didn't need this movie at all. Um but I think if you were going to make it, I think a more interesting look would be to see that stark juxtaposition of what he's presenting as and what he's actually doing in the night. Because Mm -hmm. that's something that we don't have. Like, Mm -hmm. all we can do is try to just be like, okay, that's the public figure I know. Here's the crimes that I know. Let me try to mash them together so that I don't sympathize with him or I don't think he's cute or I don't like blah, blah, blah. Because we don't have that kind of stark juxtaposition because... He was denying it the whole time. We don't, right. we don't, you know, we only know the facts of the crimes after the fact. So if you're going to make a really realistic biopic about his life, mm-hmm. then show me the gory parts too, so that I can, I have that in my mind when I'm see, seeing him playing with his girlfriend's daughter. Yeah. You know, it's like that's, that would have been more impactful to me. And I do think, obviously, yes, that's a harder film to watch and it's, it's hard. To, to talk about like what I don't know what the victims' families would have wanted. But right. like in my eyes, it doesn't feel appropriate to me to wait until the movie's over to, to tell you who he killed. Right. You know? Um and and okay, so in that vein, I did want to. This is gonna take a second, but I I wanna run through all of his victims sure. because I feel like that's <laughs> as I've been watching all of these things, I've just been like, I need to. I need to visualize visualize in this in my mind what this number actually looks like. Mm-hmm. So starts starts in 1974 from the victims that he actually confessed to, mm-hmm. but there's speculation that he could have murdered a victim as early as age 14. Wow. So in 1974 in Washington and Oregon. So on January 4th, Karen Sparks, others identified her as Joni Lentz in Bundy literature, I guess. She's 18. She is bludgeoned and sexually assaulted in her bed as she sleeps, and she survives. February 1st, Linda Ann Healy, 21, bludgeoned while she's asleep and abducted. Her skull and mandible are recovered at the Taylor Mountain site. So that's where he dumped a lot of his victims. He did a lot of killing them and then dumping them at these um, collective sites. March 12th, Donna Gail Manson, 19, was abducted while walking to a concert at the Evergreen State College, and her body was left, according to Bundy, at the Taylor Mountain site but was never found. April 17th, Susan Elaine Raincourt, who 18, disappeared after attending an evening advisor's meeting at Central Washington State College. Her skull and mandible were were recovered at the Taylor Mountain site in 1975. On May 6th, Roberta Kathleen Parks, who was 22, vanished from Oregon State University in Corvallis, Corvallis, and her skull and mandible were also recovered at the Taylor Mountain site in 1975. June 1st, Brenda Carol Ball, 22, Disappeared after leaving the Flame Tavern in Burien. Um, she was also recovered from the Taylor Mountain site June 11th. And also, notice, these dates are June 1st to June 11th. Ten, ten days apart. Yep. Some of them are less.
0: Some of them are the same day.
1: Yep. George Ann Hawkins, 18, abducted from an alley behind her sorority house. Um, her skeletal remains identified, identified as Bundy as those of... Hawkins recovered at Issaquah site. So we had another site. Uh, July 14th, Janice Ann Ott, 23, was abducted from the Lake Sammamish State Park in broad daylight. Her skeletal remains were recovered at the Issaquah Issaquah site in 1975. And then July 14th, the same day as we were talking about, Denise Marie Nasland, 19, was abducted four hours after Ott from the same park, and her remains were found in the same place. Then we moved to Utah, Colorado, and Idaho. On October 2nd, Nancy Wilcox, 16, was ambushed, assaulted, and strangled in Holiday, Utah, and her body was buried, according to Bundy, near Capitol Reef National Park, 200 miles south of Salt Lake City, but she was never found. October 18th, Melissa Ann Smith, 17, vanished from Midvale, Utah. Her body was found nine days later in the nearby mountains, October 31st, Halloween, Laura Ann Aim, 17, disappeared from Lehigh, Utah. She was bludgeoned and raped, her body discovered by hikers in American Fork Canyon. November 8th, Carol DeRanche, 18, attempted abduction in Murray, Utah, but she escaped Bundy's car and survived. So I believe she's the one that they interview in the yes, documentary.
0: She's the one I think that he was so drunk that mm-hmm. he, he was to so handcuffed her, yeah. but he ended up handcuffing uh, handcuffing her on the same wrist
1: yes she said he, he, she said he only got one of her hands however that same night because he was so angry that he hadn't been able to kill, kill carol de Ranch, he ends up killing deborah jean kent 17 who vanished after leaving a school play in bountiful utah and her body was left according to bundy near fairview utah and um that was 100 miles south of Bountiful. Minimal skeletal skeletal remains were found and um, were eventually in 2015 positively identified um, by DNA as being hers. In 1975, now Utah, Colorado, and Idaho. On January 12th, Karen Eileen Campbell, 23, disappeared from a hotel hallway in Snow, Snowmass, Colorado, and her body was discovered 36 days later on a dirt road near the hotel. That's. One of the scariest things about him is that these people are being abducted from the absolutely most mundane places, mm-hmm. like their school, be like leaving a play, walking down a hotel hallway. Yeah. Like it is absolutely insane. March 15th. Julie Cunningham, 26, disappeared on the way to a tavern in Vail, Colorado. Her body was buried according to Bundy near a Rifle, 90 miles west of Vail, but was never found. April 6th. Denise Lynn Oliverson, 25, was abducted while bicycling to her parents' house in Grand Junction, Colorado. Her body was thrown, according to Bundy, into the Colorado River, but was never found. On May 6th, Lynette Don Culver, 12, was abducted from Alameda Junior High School in Pocatello, Idaho. Her body was thrown, according to Bundy, into what authorities believed to be the Snake River, but was never found. On June 28th, Suzanne Curtis, 15, disappeared during a youth conference at Brigham Young University. Her body was buried, according to Bundy, near Price, Utah, and it was never found. Um, I believe he was... or Susan, Susan Curtis was the last victim that he confessed to minutes before his execution. Wow. Um, But then, but lastly, in 1978 in Florida,
0: mm-hmm.
1: On January 15th, we have Margaret Elizabeth Bowman, who was 21, who was bludgeoned and then strangled, strangled as she slept in the Chi Omega sorority house. Then there was Lisa Levy, or Levy, who was 20. She was bludgeoned, strangled, and sexually assaulted as she slept in the Chi Omega sorority house. Also, Karen Chandler, 21, bludgeoned as she slept, but she survived. And then Kathy Kleiner, 21, was bludgeoned as she slept as well, but she also survived. So, And then there... Sorry, same night. Cheryl Thomas, 21, bludgeoned as she slept eight blocks from the Kai Omega house, who also survived. So that one night, he's, he attacked those five girls, two yeah, of which died. was on a died. full rampage. Yes. And then lastly, February 9th, Kimberly Diane Leach, who was 12, mm-hmm. was abducted from her junior high school in Lake City, Florida, and her skeletal remains were found near Suwannee River State Park, um, 43 miles west of Lake City. So there are tons of other possible victims, um, but those are the ones that he actually confessed to. Mm-hmm. There's, I believe the person who, I can, I'm sorry, I don't have his name in front of me, but the person who was actually um, interviewing him and getting these confessions said that there were a few topics that he would refuse to get near, mm-hmm. which would be like if he if they tried to talk about when he was too young, too close to family, or too close to home. So there are some of those murders that could have happened in his early life that they think he would just yeah. never confess to because th- that was like a no no talking zone for him. Um yeah, so I just felt like sorry that took a long time but no, I think it's important and I think is,
0: you're right. I think that you hear the these astronomical numbers of mm-hmm. his victims, and it's you know when you hear like oh he killed thirty women, you're like mm-hmm. oh that's terrible. But to hear thirty names read out loud, mm-hmm. and their all of ages, them like under
1: the age of thirty, some of oh, them yeah. as young as twelve,
0: and again that we know of, yeah, he was a real piece of shit. I mean
1: it's it's absolutely impossible to fathom um, how how a human does this, uh, but. Yeah, and that's why I think people are critical of this supposed glamorization of him. And mm-hmm. I think there are I think there are things to be said for that for sure, but I also think that it doesn't mean that we can't talk about true crime. I think it's just like you do have to be careful in how you talk about it, but then as you're kind of saying, what really is the right way? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, like, is it better for me to, for me to just sit here and like describe in detail how each of these women were murdered? I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's the, this is a conversation that I, is not one that can be resolved because I think that it's, it's something I feel like it's talked about all the time. It's like, which is better like withholding the details to spare the victims and Mm -hmm. the victims families or to, really kind of air it all out there to honor the victims and to acknowledge what they went through. They weren't just a name or a number. They were a human being. That was that unfortunately their lives ended really, really horribly. And I think Mm -hmm. that with, with this particular case, it's, you know, there's really no comfort in any of it. It's like, no (laughs) hate to say it. Like none of these women died peacefully. Mm -hmm. Not that most serial killers kill obviously nicely, but um there just really is there i think like there's no there's no like happy ending not that again not that there would be no and it's no- like the
1: best that these parents can hope for is learning what happened to to their daughter yeah. so honestly the fact that he confessed in a way yeah is is a good thing in terms of closure but yeah i think i think this is this is why there there are a lot of people out there who will refrain from even saying a killer's name because it just adds to their notoriety. And I think mm-hmm. like in the case of Ted Bundy, from what we know about him, he wanted to be known. Like he, he wanted to be something bigger than he was. And that was I think a lot of where his insecurity stemmed from yep. with, his, with his partners was them wanting him to do more than he was doing and wanting him to be more than he was. So the fact that he there's now like a film where Zach Efron plays him is weird in some ways. Especially when it's not right. being really, if it, unless it's being really critical, I just don't think that that's what we need right now, necessarily.
0: Yeah. I don't know what we need.
1: I know. It's hard.
0: I, don't, I feel like I'm playing devil's advocate a lot, but I think it's simply because.
1: Yeah, because it's easy to say, like, that's not the right way to do it, but it's like, what mm-hmm. is the right way to do it? And at the same time, like, I watched it. And I wanted to watch it, you know? Like, yeah. it's.
0: Well, I'd be curious to know if if any of you listeners out there have either on this particular topic or just kind of representation of true crime in fictionalized media. Mm Because I think that that's really, I think that's where I think the issues really arise. Because if you're talking about a documentary, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, in theory you're getting the facts. Mm -hmm. Granted, they're going to be biased in a certain way. For example, like the staircase is very, very bad. Like you're watching that and the whole, the whole documentary was created to basically make him look innocent. Whether you believe that he looks innocent or not, that's your own, that's up to you. Completely. Whereas like no one's really going to make a documentary that's like, Oh, Ted bunny was like an actually a pretty cool guy. Mm -hmm. If anything, you know, the Ted bunny tapes is more so like a way of trying to understand why this grotesque human being existed. Yeah,
1: completely. And I do think, I actually look at like the Extremely Wicked and the Ted Bundy tapes kind of are like good companion pieces in a way. Like I think if you just watched the the Zach Efron film and you didn't know a lot about the case, it would be leaving a lot out for you. But mm-hmm. I do think when paired with this documentary series, it fills in a lot of gaps and it's like kind of, you know, alarming almost to watch them back to back, which I kind of I kind of like that about it. And it is, they are directed by the same person, Joe, Joe really? Berlinger or Berlinger. I don't know right. how you say his last name, but yeah, he directed both of them. So he, and wow. he has, and he's like a pretty well known, like true crime hmm. um, director, which I, so I think, which is interesting. And I wonder if he almost had that in mind when he was making these was he was like, I'm making this like really documentary look at Ted Bundy, but I'm also making this like Hollywood version of mm. him. Um, so I don't know how to reconcile that exactly, but I definitely would recommend yeah. watching them, especially like the Ted Bundy tapes, I think, are really worth it because it is incredible in a way that we have that documentation, we have those tapes to listen back to, even mm-hmm. if it's just to be like, I want it, I need to know a little bit more about what was happening in this yeah. man's mind. But
0: yeah, and maybe one day someone will, you know, interpret serial killer from the victim's perspective and mm-hmm. like more about honoring who they were as human beings and they're not just a statistic they're not just like a name on a list but mm-hmm. I also don't know if that's really what I don't know if that's better
1: Right well I, I mean I understand why people are more interested to find out what's happening in the brain of the person who killed all of these these women than learn about their individual stories because yeah they were just a victim of someone who was so deranged that he did this. Um, Would you
0: maybe even say that he was extremely wicked? Oh my God. Wow. Shockingly evil and vile? Is that what it's called?
1: <laughs> you got it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and oh yeah, I did also just want to say if if you, if for no other reason you should watch Extremely Wicked because of John Malkovich in this film. John Malkovich plays the judge okay. in his um, Florida trial. He is the one who actually says the extremely w- mm-hmm. wicked, shockingly evil and vile quote. And he is absolutely he's so fantastically brilliant in this film really he's really really great because the judge i think i mean he is portraying a real person and i Mm. think that person was like the way that he responds to ted bundy and the ridiculous things that he's doing in court Mm. is hilarious in a lot of ways but also just like so badass where he just like doesn't give a shit for any of like he's not falling for any of his charms he's not falling for any of that shit we see some of that in
0: the ted bundy tapes too Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so he's portraying that actual person, Judge Edward Coart, um, and he, yeah, it's it's really good. So I would, cool. I, I hold out for that part because it's fucking yeah. good. Um, yeah. Is there anything else we want to say? I feel like
0: yeah, this has been more of a medium, bitch.
1: I, this was really, uh, I, f- I feel like I was really on a soapbox for that whole thing, but like that's well, yeah. Let us. We know. love doing that. Do. Yeah, let us know your
0: thoughts about the, either the documentary series or about. The Zach Efron movie or about Ted Bundy in general. Bailey and I have talked about doing. We actually, I think, at one point talked about like really doing a deep dive into Ted Bundy.
1: Yeah, I feel like. I don't know. We we liked we do serial killers like sporadically, but I mm-hmm. think at the end of the day, it's when we talk about like fun, spooky shit, like serial killers, it's not really like fun and spooky for me. It's mm-hmm. just like sad and really hard to listen to. Um, but obviously we think it's important at the same time for if you, if you know the name, you should, you should also know what they did. Yeah,
0: You should know the story. And you know what? Some of us just really like serial killers. I know. I'm one of them. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's a thing that I've always loved. Loved.
1: Yeah. It's fascinating. I can't deny that. Um, anyway, thank you guys for listening again. Please, please let us know your thoughts. Um, you can email us at rwfpodcast.gmail.com or um, you can DM us on Instagram at rwfpodcast or on Twitter also at rwfpodcast. We always appreciate your thoughts. We appreciate your, your ratings. Um, and we appreciate you listening as always. Mm-hmm. Bye, itches. bitches.